Hello, it's Danny Howe back again for yet another episode of Tales from Southern Indiana. Seems like there's an almost endless um, variety of subjects that we can dig up uh, out of the past, not too recent past, from uh, the part of Southern Indiana where I grew up, which was Lawrence County in Mitchell, Indiana, uh, because it was just an interesting place, notwithstanding that it wasn't a place where there was exciting stuff happening, um, but uh, the stuff that filled in the gaps was sort of interesting because there was another big news to sort of push these these interesting little items away. So I thought we would revisit once again uh, the 911 calls, but um, have a little bit of a theme this time. We'll have some sort of typical interesting odd ones, but um, then we'll get into a, a certain theme that... Um, uh, I'm not sure why it focuses so much on that, but it looks like it was something that was addressed on a regular basis, and there were some folks who had some helpful ideas about it. And then we'll end up with a little human oddity story. So, at any rate, I, as I mentioned before, 911 calls to Mitchell, Indiana's police department tended not to be an emergency, but more in the sort of the category of things that irritated people. So, here back in uh, well, 2000, year 2000, not that long ago. Um, someone called into the police and said that neighbors were making U-turns in front of their residence. And that's it. Uh, I'm not whether they were, perhaps they were philosophically opposed to U-turns or they bothered them on some sort of a subliminal level. It's hard to say, but they didn't want it to happen anymore and they wanted the police to come out and stop it. Um, here, in, <laughs> as we move on, um, this is, uh, well, this is back in 1982. This is quite a ways back from these days. Um, that someone had been in the caller's mobile home watching TV and had used the curling iron and stolen a pair of pants. Now, I don't know if they knew this was an intruder necessarily. They didn't see the person leaving, I don't think, with the pair of pants. They just cataloged what appeared to be missing or disturbed and perhaps also the fact that the television was on and they turned it off when they left perhaps. Could have been a relative. Who knows? At any rate, merited a call to 911. Um, now, here we have a, um, a paper carrier. Uh, so, a, a paper, per, paper person these days, he's a big paper boy, requested that the police contact the sheriff's department because there was a nude person standing beside his car on Highway 37, just south of the White River Bridge. Um, well, who knows what that was about? And there's no follow-up report uh, on that. Now, here we have... A report that it would make sense he might call the police for this, but it's odd in terms of who called it. Dunn Hospital, so the hospital requested a police unit come check on a person who had fallen. What, what in the hospital check on the person who had fallen? What, what were the police going to do other than see whether he needed to go to the hospital or not? At any rate, and we have a um, train blocking, blocking crossing. The, the trains, the freight trains that came through Mitchell, Indiana, regularly blocked the um, train crossings and cut off transportation between half the town two or three times a day. And these were long freight trains, and everybody just knew that if you came up upon one, the signal was there and the train had got there before you did, that you might as well just, you know, bring a picnic lunch or something. You're going to wait 20 minutes or so before you could cross the road. And there wasn't any other option. Um, but uh, it wouldn't typically be something where you'd call the police to do something about it. Um, here we have subjects climbing a fence. I don't, I, no, no indication of what the issue was about them climbing a fence. Um, suspicious person throwing rocks at a home. 
So, all right, so there could be a, a non-suspicious person that would throw a rock. That would be, as we've said many times before, what we used to do as Mitchell residents would be to throw rocks at anything or anyone that seemed to be new. But this is a suspicious person throwing rocks, so the police should come out for something like that. Um, now, we get into a, a bit of a theme here um, involving children. A lot of calls to the 911 involving children. So here, um, here's a, a complaint um, about um, children smoking, cursing, and being disruptive. Just bad seeds, basically. And then children stealing yard ornaments. You know, maybe those yard ornaments were what was causing the person to, to see all those U-turns in front of their house before. Yard, or, yard ornaments can be very disturbing. At any rate, they were being stolen. The police were to be called to bring them back. Um, and we have, um, well, here, a subject is reported being spit on by a juvenile. So that, I, I don't know that, again, that there would be a lot of calls to 911 about people spitting. Spitting was fairly commonplace when I grew up in Mitchell, Indiana. You didn't always spit on someone, but maybe sometimes by accident, you, you know, you'd spit into the wind. Maybe you would blow back and hit somebody. At any rate, the police had to come out and put a stop to this, um, this um, saliva projectile business here. Here's a, someone is complaining about a dog that's at large. The dog's running loose. Again, they don't like dogs running loose, even though there were all a lot of dogs that ran loose back then. And then we have another report of theft of yard ornaments. This could be the same. This could be a gang, a gang of yard ornament thieves working Mitchell at the time. Um, but then we hit a theme. A lot of calls reported incorrigible children. Incorrigibility is a crime in a lot of places, and it was, and I think still is, in, in Indiana. But in southern Indiana, people called the police about it a lot. Here's some. So um, a parent calls. They want the police to come out and speak with their, their daughter, who has not returned home. And about an hour later, they called back. They wanted the police to speak to the officer about their daughter who had returned home but was incorrigible. So incorrigibility meant not following lawful instructions from your parents. And in Indiana, to violate the law of incorrigibility, you had to do that eight times. Now, I'm not sure if it was eight times in a row or eight times that you refused the same instruction or it was just an amalgam of eight occasions over the course of your entire life as a juvenile where you refused the instructions of a parent to do something that was reasonable and lawful that uh, you'd expect the children to have to follow the parents' instruction. It's a big deal, uh, incorrigibility, because parents actually have to swear out a charge against their child for being incorrigible, and if the police follow up on it, then the child can be you know, taken away. And um, so you'd have to reach a point of fairly extreme displeasure with your children, really literally not being able to do anything about them. But it didn't seem to stop folks in town from calling the police based on just a general accusation of incorrigibility about someone who wasn't their child. So here's, um, here's a report, uh, 1981, 911 call, children driving recklessly on go-karts. So that's incorrigible if you tell them to stop, and they didn't. Although when you note that the complaint was not that they were driving the, ro- the go-karts, but that they were doing so recklessly. So they were, not, they were failing to obey the laws of the road. Um, and 
Well, here's, a, here's one that perhaps would be used on an incorrigible child. This is a dog that would bite, was seen behind Baker's Road. But the dog, dog hadn't bitten anybody. It's just that it posed the threat of biting because it would bite. Apparently it had said that at one point or another. Um, so there were, you know, lots of these concerns about how children were behaving. Here's a, so a child is a juvenile walking through a yard that the owner does not want the juvenile to walk through. There may be a whole class of kids that the, the owner was welcome, that they would, they'd perfectly fine if they walked through the yard, but there was somebody they, the owner didn't want to walk through their yard, perhaps because of some missing lawn ornaments, who knows. Um, yeah, the report of a nine-year-old driving a vehicle, well, that, that would certainly merit a call, um, as long as it's not a go-kart, I guess. And we have um, a solution that was suggested at some point or another to this whole problem of corrigibility from Minnesota, but it was reported in the home paper um, back in 1903. So, you know, day of innovation, a time of, you know, thinking and new inventions of all kinds. So here we have a spanking machine, reported to be a howling success. Not sure if that's intended to be uh, a joke. Um, the Minnesota Training School has adopted a spanking device for punishing incorrigible boys. And they pointed out that without a spanking device, you know, it's, it's a challenge here because you have, to, um, you have to struggle to keep the child in place. And it said that it's difficult to be accurate in your aim with whatever you're whipping the child with. It said that applying the lash uh, blows are likely to fall indiscriminately anywhere on the anatomy between the head and the feet. So use your imagination. Now, but this invention takes care of a lot of these problems. This is the, the exact spot on the anatomy which it is proposed to attack may be marked with chalk. I don't know why you couldn't do that even in the absence of a spanking machine, but all right, you, you take the chalk, you apply it to wherever you want the child to be lashed, and you turn on the machine. Now, the machine involves a long bench, and it said the victim is placed with a convenient part of their anatomy upward. Certainly wouldn't help if it was downward, but I suppose at any rate. It said, if very obstreperous, the youth may have their hands and feet strapped to the corners of the bench. This sounding like sounds like something out, out of medieval times. Um, not surprising why this machine didn't really catch on all over the country. It says the, um, the general public has expressed some displeasure about the spanking machine, and some have become convinced that it is a demoniacal invention, but nevertheless, even they have to admit it's been an effective agent in the discipline of incorrigibles. And there's talk of getting up an automatic attachment by which any given number of lashes could be applied quickly and accurately, so it just wouldn't be a one-time sort of a slingshot effect, you actually could dial in 40 lashes and have the machine punish you as if you were an incorrigible sailor on a pirate ship. So, at any rate, there are some thoughts about, you know, a, 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 another crime I didn't know existed, incorrigibility. So, another thing to watch out for along with being provocative, uh, inducing people to um, engage in provocative behavior, all kinds of crimes that we don't hear so much about anymore. And then finally, apropos of none of the things we've been talking about, I just thought I had to share um, this particular article from 1902 from Bremen, Indiana. I'm not sure what Bremen is or, or was, if it still exists or not. This is the, <laughs> the headline says, Mystery Solved. 
six toes on amputated human leg identified as belonging to boy. And the story is that, um, so a, a, a young man named Henry Etter, who was 16, um, was in the hospital and had a leg amputated. It says the leg was given to a man to bury. Just any particular man who showed up is here, bury this leg. Apparently, whoever the leg was given to did not care to bury it, so instead placed it under a dam. There's a lot of places you could put a severed leg if you just wanted to get rid of it, but this fellow made a trip to a dam, and they're not close necessarily to any hospital. So, and so the, um, it was placed under a dam, and they knew that the severed leg belonged to Henry Etter because the leg had six toes, and Henry Etter was known to have had six well-developed toes on his foot. So they matched up the number of toes with the number of toes on the missing leg and solved a, a something that would have really caused a lot of consternation to people whose job it was to figure out stuff like this. So there you go, um, some uh, chronic issues that uh, were shared over and over again in the community and what was at least a promising solution uh, when it was first invented, for whatever reasons, maybe you'll discover later on, turned out not to catch on. And finally, the ability of the detective uh, nature in, and everyone really in southern Indiana to be able to track down a leg that was missing from whoever it once belonged to by counting the number of toes. So future tips, as always, we're sure glad that you were able to join us and we hope that you will come back and visit again. Meanwhile, stay safe. Uh, don't do uh, too bad in the baking heat of summer. And uh, we'll talk to you before fall.